Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. I want to preach a very short word. Uh, as you can see, it's very short. There's no papers here at all. I actually forgot my notes at home. Maybe it's a blessing in disguise. I don't know, but uh, I just realized as we were on the highway, oh, look at my notes on my table. I want to complete the thoughts that I've been sharing for the past few weeks, but I, I don't complete a phase until I am certain that God has at least secured a substantial body of that truth in the lives of our people. Amen. Remember, we don't just preach for preaching sermons' sake. Our intention is to install principles of Christ in you. Paul said it like this in Colossians 1. Uh, just go back to 28. We proclaim Him. Everyone say Him. So we preach Christ, Him crucified, and all of the principles attendant with Christ. Okay? And then it says we proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching. So we do two things. Admonish means to correct with fatherly care and with fatherly concern. So we admonish and teach every man with all wisdom. With what in mind? What is our ultimate objective? What's Paul's ultimate objective for teaching and preaching? Proclaiming Christ. So when you proclaim Christ, what will be the outcome? It says that we will do what? We will present every man complete in, in Christ. The, the issue is that teaching, preaching... Later on, he would say, I was appointed a teacher to the Gentiles, a preacher and an apostle. So preaching, preaching, teaching, and yeah, he uses rebuke or admonishment. His whole intent is this, whatever I do via preaching, teaching, and correcting, I have one thing in mind and one thing only. I want to present every man. Perfect or complete, the word terio, uh, or is, it means full, complete, coming to fullness in him. So you're already positionally complete and fully in Christ, but progressively you will come into that estate so long as you expose your heart to teaching and preaching. So you, you must always bear this in mind whenever you come to church and you sit under the sound of God's Word. The act of preaching and the act of teaching is to, form, to fully form Christ in, in you. Okay, It is to, to fill out what is, all, I believe it like this, it's already resident. You are all complete in Him, right? He's already in you in fullness. But every time you're exposed to the Word of the Lord, the Word is like light that activates that dimension in you. Because sometimes the carnality of the fallen soul is so dark, it cannot see the reality nor can it live it. So the Word of God simply exposes what is already there. When we say the installment and the impartation could be viewed as unearthing the resident deposit of what God sovereignly has placed within every son. So Paul couches it in terms like this. We proclaim him, we admonish every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, and we want to present every man perfect, or King James says perfect, this version says complete in Christ. So in the, in the last verse, he says this, and this is what I love. He says, for this purpose, I also I labor. The King James says, to this end, I work. What is my end? What is my objective in ministry? What objective does Randolph have in ministry? I want to say this to all of you who are my sons in the Lord. I have only one objective. It's to complete Christ in you. And, and I'll do it by the medium of teaching and preaching. To that end, I labor. For, to that objective, I work. Uh, we're not in this for ourselves. There's no desire to build personal empires or name for ourselves. Uh, we're prepared to die to ourselves so that Christ can live in you, right? And he says, I strive not according to my own power. I'm going to talk more about this in the weeks to come, not striving according to your own power, but striving according to grace. In fact, in grace, you don't actually strive, okay? You don't actually strive. Striving according to his power, which mightily works within me, Paul says. Okay, so it's that end we labor. And recently, we've been speaking about impartations of grace, and how that happens. And we spoke variously about how grace comes to a person. 
of recent, we've been speaking about the principle of dwelling near the leader to whom God has put in your life. Everyone say, dwell near. And we looked at various examples. I don't want to go to them now. Jesus, when he ordained the twelve, says, he ordained them that they might be with him, then that they might go and, and preach. But the imperative was, be, be, be with him. Uh, when Elijah requested Elisha to be his son, literally, Elisha was working the field, not so, plowing away. And Elijah came, Elijah came walking past. The initiative for that relationship came from Elijah. Do you know that? He saw the brother, and he went to him and threw his coat on him. Remember? He said, follow me. Where did the initiative for the father-son relationship in Paul and Timothy come from? Paul. The Bible says there was a brother in Lystra. Acts 16, read it. It says, Timothy was well-renowned, well-reputed. He was a good brother, well-spoken of by all the brethren. And when Paul saw him, Paul beckoned him to come with him. And a powerful relationship started to uh, ensue in terms of father-son dynamics. Elisha followed Elijah ardently, doggedly, literally did not let him out of his sight. In fact, and we looked at the four locations that he followed him, remember? I'm going to go to that now. And the principles attached to each location. It's incumbent upon every son to pursue a father. The pursuit usually is not from father to son, it's from son to father. I will, I will talk in a moment about the mutuality of this process, that it comes from both sides. But if a son recognizes what is in a father and wants what the father has, there will be within the heart of a son a pursuit after, a longing for, a desire for. It is, it is a pursuit after the grace of God vested within the leader. Uh, it's not to deify the leader. It's for a higher order. It's really the divine grace of God that God is transmitting through the leader to you. So Hebrews would say, know them. Everyone say, know them. When it says, know them that labor among you, right? Or know your leaders. It's not saying, well, recognize or ran off and they are your leaders. It's not that simply, not just being aware. No means, no, um, intimately. It means no with, with the idea of pursuit. No with the idea of investigation. Remember I taught you how the men of David followed him? But they followed him after intense investigation. There was historical study of the man before there was this great commitment. So when the commitment was made, it was made with wholeheartedness. It was made uh, very, very seriously. So uh, the proviso for double portion that Elisha requested from Elijah was set like this. If you see me when I am taken up, you can get twice whatever I got. If you see me when I am taken up, whatever I got, you can, you can have. Okay? And uh, I love how John Alley says it. You must listen to the way I, I recorded the ALS sessions on the CD, I'd done them by speaker. So you'll get Pastor Thamo's four sessions, I think John Alley's four sessions straight afterwards, just simply for the idea of continuity, because the speakers literally continued from one session to the next. I listened to John Alley's teachings, I'm not lying, three times every day this whole week. I got those messages into my heart and spirit. I'm totally, I was totally um, amazed by his Understanding of the book of Ephesians and um, the spirit of understanding and, and the grace of oneness that comes upon a community that is committed to loving each other. Paul said in Ephesians, when, when, when I heard of your faith and your love for all the saints, I began to pray that God will fill you with the spirit of wisdom, understanding, uh, full with all the knowledge uh, and, and, and wisdom and revelation. Okay, You know, there are certain things apostles feel free to pray for you once you've cemented love. So when I heard of your love, I began to pray for you that God fills you with the spirit of revelation and understanding. That you might know um, the, the, the greatness of his might and power, etc. But he said this in one of the sessions there. He said, now, everyone say double portion. Double portion was, was gleaned from, that the phrase is gleaned from, inheritance laws in Israel because who really got double portion? It was the eldest son in a family, not so? Eldest son got double portion. In other words, whatever the other brothers would get, this brother would get twice as much 
That's what double portion meant naturally, practically, in context. Now, in Christ, Christ is the firstborn of the Father, not so? But we too, in Christ, are firstborn sons of God. Yes? i got a whole series in my website down there. It's on firstborn sonship. I can't go through all the scriptures now. But as he is, so are we in this world. If he is firstborn, so am I. So already locked up within you, you have the right to pursue firstborn inheritance in God. It's your privilege. It's given to you by God. God has set protocols for its practical access in your life. He's put fathers in your life. And uh, when you examine Elisha's relationship with Elijah, this was a revelation that blew me away. When John Ali said this, he said, for Elisha to get the double portion, or he first said he's been in prayer meetings of the Salvation Army where people would pray for double portion. Give me double portion. Give me double portion. Have you been in prayer meetings like that? People are praying for double portion. Have you been in, I've been in sermons where double, 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 double. You know, especially in Africa, they say double, 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 double. Right? I was preaching alongside another preacher in, in Eldoret, Kenya, a few years ago. And uh, we were two speakers of the conference, Fordek, and he was on before me. Now, you know, I'm a dramatic, right? I just stand and preach. Simple. I got no, this guy was all over the place. One end of the stage there. I was sitting in the front row. He literally jumped on the chair next to me and preaching. And I'm next, and I'm thinking, Lord, how am I going to beat this act? This is like too much pressure for me. You know, but uh, he was commenting on Isaiah with that scripture which says, for your trouble, I'll give you uh, double back. So, so the phrase was double, 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 double. So everyone thinks double, 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 double. And the crowds were swaying, you know, and I felt this pressure to, what am I going to say here afterwards, you know. But I just went, when it came to my turn, I went in my quiet fashion. I just stood behind the pulpit and the whole texture of the atmosphere changed. The fabric of the resident anointing. And the Lord came down. But we, we say it. We like to say it. Double portion. Double anointing. And John Ali said this. The guys in the prayer meeting were asking the wrong father for the double portion. Elisha asked Elijah. Right? And he said this. Elijah will administrate it. But the heavenly father had to give it. And he said this. It took two fathers to agree to bless you. The Heavenly Father is already intent on blessing you. But he said, pursue a spiritual father whose heart is open to you and who is desirous to bless you. Don't pursue the wrong father. That cannot administrate this double portion anointing. Two fathers had to agree upon what Elisha would have, would have gotten. I'm going to share more now about the longing, the mutuality of longing between spiritual fathers and spiritual sons and how this will facilitate every impartational flow of grace, of blessing, of favor, uh, of anointing into, into all of our lives. Amen. So uh, let's, let's just kick off. I want to go read Philippians chapter 1 initially. We've done this before, but um, it's something John Ali said that sparked my interest. He said, when Elijah was taken up to heaven in the chariot, Elisha exclaimed, my Father, my Father, the horsemen and the chariots of, of Israel. And he said it was actually, in the original Hebrew framing, a cry of longing. Everyone say longing. Can you picture him? It's like, my Father, my Father, the horsemen and the chariots of Israel. So the Father is taken away from him. For more than 30 years he's known Elijah and followed following ardently for all the while. Um, and, and, and now he's suddenly taken away. And John Ali says this is the cry and the longing in our hearts of every son of God to be fathered. My father, my father, horsemen and the chariots of Israel. The chariots in that economy was the fastest moving vehicle of their day. If it was a modern day contemporary example, he would have probably said, my father, my father, the Learjets of Israel. Something. He, he, he referenced the fastest mode of transport, the chariots of Israel, a war, an implement of war and, and transportation. What he was saying is, you are the principle, my father, you are the principle that brings momentum to my life, that pushes the purposes of God, that fast tracks things. And there was a cry and a longing 
right, for that dynamic. Now, fathers long for sons, but sons should also long for fathers. The mutuality of the longing in both fathers and sons must be present. Okay, so in Paul's language, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ, Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are in Philippi, including the overseers or the elders and the deacons. Verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you all. I love to say, how does Paul pray for the guys at Philippi? How does he pray for them? With, with joy, right? There's some you pray with grief, but for these guys, he says, no, when I think of you, this, this group is different. I pray with absolute joy for you, right? And then he says in verse 5, in view of your participation of the gospel, so my prayerful, joyful prayer for you is built upon the how you participated with me in my apostolic call. Uh, if you know the context, let me quickly paraphrase. They partook of the grace of God in Paul, right? He said, you recognize what God gave me, and you guys followed it, and you pulled out from me. You made a demand upon the grace of God in me. And one way in which they did that, these Philippians, they did it via their faithful, diligent, financial support of the apostle right throughout his ministry. If, uh, please, before you sleep, I know it's Mother's Day, but try and read the four chapters in Philippians. It's for easy easy reading. And he says, you send gifts, financial gifts to me. And he says, not just once, but many times. And he even references the most recent offering. He says, that gift you sent by the hands of Epaphroditus. I've received it. And he says, it is a sweet smelling savor to God. You sent it to me. It's ascended like an aroma to God. And he says, you've participated in the grace of God given to me from the first day. Now, you know, there's some that Stop and start, start and stop. The Philippians, from the very initiation of Paul's ministry, he says, from the first day, even up until now, you've not waned. You, you are not uh, like yo-yo-like. You are consistent. Uh, and he's specifically referencing the financial support of all of his apostolic endeavors. In verse 6, I am confident of this very thing. He will begin a good work in you will perfect it until the day of, G of Christ Jesus. I've taught you on this. Paul expresses confidence to no other church like he did to the Philippians. Not maybe. When he says, I am confident, is he saying, I wish? This is not even a well wish. He's not saying, I hope you guys, I hope that God finishes the work in you. I hope you come to maturity. He's saying, I am fully confident that you guys are going to finish. Now, here's where I really want to get from the seven onwards. Watch. It, you know, when I read this, I can almost cry because it tells me the heart of an apostolic father. He says, it is only right for me to feel, not to think. A true father feels. I want to talk about the longing in the heart. You know, a father to a son and sons to a father. Do you know we have a high priest, Jesus Christ? I like what the Bible says in Hebrew. He's touched with what? With the feelings of our... Do you know that God is very concerned as to how you feel emotionally? When you're on the dull drums of despair, or when you are angry, or when you are anxious, or when you are worried, do you know that those things are very important to God? I like what it says. He is touched with my feelings. Every feeling you've ever felt touches God. He is touched with the feelings of your struggles, your infirmities, your heartaches. Right? I, don't, I cannot tolerate an expression of church leadership that operates coldly, clinically, without heart involvement. Because leaders are called to lead with, yes, we lead with the mind, we follow principles, but... If you don't love people, you don't belong behind a pulpit. It's as simple as that. If you don't love sheep, you are no shepherd. So when Paul speaks like this, you see the thing about apostles is so high-flown today. 
apostle, apostle. And it's, it's so esoteric almost and almost in some quarters hierarchical. But a true apostle is a father at heart that has got an intensity of feeling. An intensity of, of feeling. We've got to have love. We, we are strong believers in doctrine. And we've got a whole book of doctrine there on the table. So we're very strong in doctrine. But we've got to be strong in love. For he, it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. Because where does he have them? Come on, talk. Where does he have them? He says, I have you where? In my heart. If you cannot hold people in your heart, you are disqualified to lead them. I want to say on behalf of Renee and I, that all of you here, the Lord has truly enlarged our hearts to hold you in it. We hold you, I want to say this clinically, carefully, but seriously. You are not on our church register in the list of people that are members of Gate Ministry Durban Central. Your name is there, it is there, yes. But you are not there, you are here. You are in the heart. Do you know Aaron the high priest, when he went to, to function in his high priestly office, do you know what happened? Remember how, how well he was clad and clothed from head to, to toe? And at some stage, we must do a study on what does each item of the clothing represent. But on the breastplate, there was the names of the 12 tribes of, of Israel. God did not put that on his back. Nor on his thigh or his feet, nor on his head. That was put where? Closest to the heart. So when this one man stood, a high priest stands before God to represent the people. And he stands before the people to represent God. But when Aaron stood before God, when God looked at him, you know what God saw? God saw the whole nation. The high priestly function had a representative quality about it. God saw the whole nation. Representing one man. Why? The man held every tribe in his, in his heart. So Paul says, it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. And the reason why the Philippians were so endeared to the apostle was this. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you were partakers of what? Everyone say Grace. Remember this theme we are dealing with for a long time now is grace. Everyone say grace. And I'm concerned that grace vested in true apostles must find its way to everybody. But there's a critical component. I have done this before. Remember Tog? We did some of this in Tog. Your heart must be turned. Your heart must be open. Your heart must be, be given. But the Lord has brought me back to it. Just from the A-list, listening to the guys. God is saying, Randolph, open your heart more. For your people. I'm talking about what the Lord said to me in reference to my leadership. Open your heart more and hold everyone in your heart. This is for both Renee and I. Hold them in your heart. When you stand and you pray before me, I don't see you only. I see what you represent. See your whole people. Okay? And Paul says, from the start first day even up to now, even in my hardships. Now, I, I want to encourage you. I, I sent this WhatsApp a few days ago, I think. I said, when the pressure is on, don't betray key relationships relative to fathering and sonship. When things go sour and things go bad, especially in your father's life, that's not the time to disconnect. You must please be aware of this fact that every valid spiritual father, especially if he's apostolically wired, will go through great trial. It's par for the course. Paul went through it himself. He was in prison, beaten almost to death many times. And he would say things like, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. He said at one stage, everyone in Asia. Now when he says everyone in Asia, it's everyone in Asia. He's talking about Asia Minor here. All the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna. He says all the guys have for forsaken, including Ephesus. It boggles my mind about that. He says everyone has forsaken me. In 2 Timothy he says, only Luke the doctor. Luke wrote the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. He says, only Luke is with me. And then he writes to his son Timothy, he says, Timothy, do not be ashamed of my chains. Do not be ashamed of my imprisonment, but stick with me. Stick to your guns. The heat is on. 
let's see who will balega now or who will stay. Huh? Who's going to vacate and who's going to... Remember John Mark left Paul and who was the first? Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey. And the Bible says the heat was on and John Mark, who was their aide, left them. Remember? Could not endure the rigors of apostolic ministry and he vacated them. On the second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to take him again, but Paul refused. Paul says, this young man is not fit, he's not ready for the, the level of warfare that we are encountering there. Do you know what um, the Bible calls John Mark? You must do a Greek word study on it. Get the passage out and check it. Where the Bible says that he was an aid to them, the word aid there is an under oarsman. You know the oarsman, the old boats, they used to sit at the bottom of the boat and they would... They would row, right? A lot of them. That's how the Bible describes John Mark. Paul says this guy was positioned in our, in our lives, in our ministry, to give momentum and propulsion to all our efforts in what we're doing. And when it mattered the most, he left the oars and he vacated us. So he's not fit to come with the next one. Well, Barnabas had compassion, right? You know the story. His name means encouragement. He was the more, he had patience. Lucky he did because today we have the book of Mark. Written by the same fellow, John Mark, right? He was once unprofitable, changed over time under Barnabas' fatherliness, and he became profitable. So tell your neighbor there's hope for you. You know, you know, when I look at the Bible, I get great hope. Even David lied one time. The Bible says they wanted to kill him at one stage, and he acted like a madman. Remember? Like a lunatic. He went wild, and they didn't know, this can't be David. I haven't killed Christians. When I think of how God used all those guys in the, in the scriptures, he says, wow, Lord, there's hope for me. <laughs> I'm not comparing severities of sin. Don't, don't, please don't misunderstand me. I'm just saying, I, I want to encourage you. I'll talk more to this in the next segment of our series. But uh, just tell your neighbor, you're doing yourself in too hard. Are you not as bad as you think, man? Tell someone you're not as bad as you think. There was worse, worse of fellows than you in the Bible. <laughs> You, God can use you. God can use David. I, can have, I have great hope. I mean, I haven't plotted someone's murder. Do you know when David killed that guy, Uriah, after committing with adultery with Bathsheba? Do you know it was months after that, before Nathan the prophet came to him? Do you know David was comfortable to abide with murder on his mind, adultery at the back of his mind, and still a functioning king? Right? Until the prophet came to him. Do you know you can be so blind to your own weakness, blind to the severity of your own sin? That's why it takes a prophetic voice to speak to you, to bring you back on line. But if God can use those guys, there's great hope for all of us. Amen? There's great hope for all of us. So what we were talking about, this is a sidetrack. Yes, partakers of the grace. I want to encourage us all. God said to me, you know, yesterday we had such a powerful brothers meeting. It was awesome. Yes, brothers? It was wonderful, the texture of conversations in the lounge, about 40 plus of us at, at the meeting. Wonderful texture of conversation. Uh, I sent an army, I actually referenced it. It was like God putting an army together. It was just the quality, I just pervade the group, the quality of men that God has given us in the house. Says, this is like the army of David, like the army of God. Hallelujah. And um, I was really blessed by the synergy, the oneness being forged. I want to encourage us to maintain that. Let's hold that dear in our hearts. You know why? From a context of heartfelt oneness, participation in grace is going to accentuate. Never disconnect participation in grace. Yes, they did that financially, but there was an openness in the heart of Paul as uh, an apostle. Look in chapter 4, verse 1, quickly. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, to whom I whom I long to see, my joy and my crown, in this way stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Amen. If I start to reference you in endearing terms, don't think, Randolph, what happened to him now, please. It's scriptural. Paul says, I long to see you. Repeat this after me. I long to see you. What does it tell you about the heart of the apostle? What was, was his desire to go back to Philippi? 
another missionary trip? To engage another conference? No. His heart was in this. I long to, to see you because he knows something is going to transact every time. Just go to Romans 1.11 quickly. Someone's going to trans, something's going to transact from the basis of hearts that long for one for the other. Okay? He said to the Romans, I long to see you. Why? That I might impart some spiritual gift to you that you might be established. The next verse. And then he says, that is, I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. This is a powerful chapter. So, answer me from verse 11. Verse 11, verse 11 on. Why was Paul longing to see them? It's clear here. I long to see you that I might. We're talking about impartations of grace. What I'm suggesting is that impartations of anything, blessing, grace, anointings, is facilitated within a context where there's heart longing. Right? Just tell your neighbor, connect with your heart. Some of you are here by the head. But you must be here by the... Some of you are here because it's convenient for you to come to this church. It's in your area. For some of you, it's very inconvenient. You travel a long way, right? <laughs> it's, you know, uh, it's the old season of going to the church nearest to you because of convenience is archaic. It's outdated. It's obsolete. But listen carefully. So what do you connect to? You connect to a, a spiritual father filled with grace that has longing for you and you have longing for him. Within that economy, the grace of God flows most efficiently. Most efficiently. You see, Paul says, I love this. I long to see you that I might impart. Get these words into your spirit. I want to see you because I want to impart something to you. So the longing always in Paul, yes, there was an endearment. There was intense love. But there was a desire to give to the other something that God gave to him. It's called impar, impartation. Right? In uh, 1 Thessalonians, quickly, chapter 3, verse 6, you'll see this played out again. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. Oh, sorry, I think I got the wrong. Yes, yes. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, he sent Timothy the head of him, right? Timothy came back to him. And has brought us good news of your faith and your love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us. So you see, this is a two-way street. Paul longs for his sons and he references the heart disposition of the Thessalonians. You long to see us just as we long to see you. You long to see us just as we long to see you. One more reference in, uh, a verse in reference to this. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. I thank my God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers. Did Paul pray for Timothy often? He says, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Look at verse 4. Longing to see you. Do you think these words in every epistle this, this guy is writing is just there for, to fill the pages? He says, I long to see you, my son. I, there's a longing within me. I long to see you even as I recall your tears so that I might be filled with, with joy. Right? I might be filled with joy. Do you remember last week we spoke about how the sons of Elijah wanted to increase the place of Elisha, wanted to increase the place before him where they dwell. And he said to them, yes, no problem. Go down to the Jordan and cut down beams, trees, which we said are representative of people or men, right? That God's going to bring to increase the, the dwelling. When I say dwelling space, please hear my heart. There is going to be an increased room in two respects. We talk about the first one. The increased room will be the addition of key persons to this congregation. Tell you never your key person. I looked at the complement of men we have already last night. It was strategic personnel gathered in various fields, right? Each one 
literally a, 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 a master in his own field. And so there will be that, that process. And there's going to be this increased sphere of, of, of dwelling. But also, too, and remember, to, just to corroborate that, we looked at Leviticus 26.8 last week, where it says five will chase 20, but 100 will chase 10,000. If you simplify the ratios, it's 1 is to 20 and 1 is to 100. Remember we did that? Right? Both ratios are very impressive, right? 1 is to 20, 1 is to 100. The power of 1 chasing 20 or the power of 1 chasing 100. But 1 is to 100 is far more impressive than 1 is to 20. But both ratios are astounding. God says, 5 of you will chase 20. 5 guys or 5 of you will chase 100. 1 is to 20. 100 of you are going to chase 10,000. The point is, the, both the 5 and the 100 doing the chasing are in community, in covenant, in one. It's the power of united strength. It's the power of corporality. But 5 chase 100. But the moment that principle is accentuated and increased beyond its immediate number, so the, the principle of oneness grows now from 5 to 100, what each one in the hundred can do is far greater than what each one in the twenty can do. You've got to get this revelation. So, one, if you simplify the ratios, one chases twenty, but now one is dealing with a hundred. Could be the same. Take one of the guys who was part of the five chasing a hundred and says, okay, how's, how's it, Prue? How are you doing? A hundred, wow. Forget the, <laughs> forget the <laughs> play upon words. Yes, hundreds. We just chase a hundred. So you you question. Says so on average, what were you responsible for? Well, on average, twenty. Each of us, on average, we each responsible for twenty. So he says, are you happy with just this five? And his answer to you would be, no, no, no. If we can increase the quality that we have amongst this five to a hundred, put me in the same group, a similar principle of a hundred. I can deal with 100 personally. But previously I could only deal with 20. Listen carefully. Personal effectiveness becomes amplified to a level far greater than would ordinarily have been accomplished had the group that was in covenantal oneness not grown in strength or grown in numbers. You see, um, why must we all, and I think we had something very special amongst the brothers last night. I recognize it in the spirit. When you know that power and the power attendant with what we are then able to do, you will deal with division, schism, uh, backbiting, unforgiveness very strongly. You will endeavor to keep the oneness. When you realize if we break rank here, if we break rank in terms of our cohesiveness, we are compromising not just the effectiveness of the group, but the effectiveness of everyone personally in the group. Right? The Aiken principle. One guy uh, breaks rank, breaks principle, and he compromises the, the success of the entire army. Okay? So these principles are, are, are significantly important to me. So tell your neighbor, open your heart. Open your heart. Oh, by the way, you know, I've got so much here, but I'm worried about time. Can I just read it? I'm going to read it in context. I want to read it. I was reading it early this morning. Let me read it again. But I don't want to read verse 8 only, Leviticus 26. I want to read the context and see. Uh, please, brethren, look at the screen, but open your hearts. I'm going to read this as a prophetic uh, promise to the house. This is what God said to me. Randolph, don't only take verse 8. Take the whole chapter. Right? Come on, are you ready to read? Let's read together, if you can see the screen. I know we battle some of you at the back to see it because... Slow. Let's read it. You shall not make for yourselves idols, nor shall you set up for yourselves an image or sacred pillar, nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbath or my rest and reverence, my sanctuary. I am the Lord. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments, so as to carry them out. And then I shall give you rains in their seasons, 
so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Indeed, your threshing will last for you until grape gathering and your grape gathering will last until sowing time. You will thus eat your food to the full and live securely in your land. Just hold it here. It talks about two types of harvest. There's uh, grape gathering and there is threshing. Wheat is threshed. Wheat and barley is threshed. Not so? Grapes are gathered and then processed to make wine. The wheat barley was in the first, the wheat harvest in the first month. Sorry, the barley harvest in the first month. The wheat harvest in the third month. Grape or vintage was the seventh month. You know what God is saying here? So think of the first and seventh months threshing of grain type products, barley and wheat. First month, third month. And the grapes are only coming in the? So with that in mind, read this. It says, indeed, you're threshing. In other words, when you have reaped in the first and third month your barley and your wheat, and you're now threshing them, separating the, the, the chaff from the, the most productive parts, he says, your threshing will last until you start bringing in your grapes. So big will the harvest be. You can take a long time to thresh them. Right? It will last for you until the time of grape gathering. And the grape gathering will last until it's time for you to sow more. Yeah? This is like the, 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 the word that Sean gave on acceleration. The harvester overtaking the plowman. Eh? And him that treads grapes that sows seed. Right? It's a powerful image. Tell your neighbor you will not lack. Come on. Not lack. You know, I claim the scripture. I will not lack. God is saying between states or seasons of successive harvests, you are not going to know lack. Eh? You're not going to know lack. And then he says, verse 6, let's read. I shall also grant peace in the land so that you might lie down with no one making you tremble. I shall also eliminate harmful beasts from the land, and no sword will pass through the, your land. But you will chase your enemies, and they will fall before you by the sword. Here's the verse. Five of you will chase a hundred. A hundred will chase ten thousand. And your enemies will fall before you by the sword. Next verse. So I will turn toward you and make you fruitful and multiply and I will confirm my covenant with you. Amen. It's not a powerful chapter. But listen carefully. If you read the rest, the whole of the chapter, God switches. He says, but if you disobey me, there's a whole lot of consequences attendant with that. Okay. But I want to, I want to encourage you. Um, the power of corporality, the power of oneness, God is really stressing now in this season. And what I want to implore, you see, the sons of Elisha wanted to increase the room. But the first port of increase is your state of your heart. The room in your heart must in, must increase. And if you're referencing notes, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 6, read the whole of chapter 6, and come down to verse chapter 7, verse 1 and verse 2, where Paul speaks about uh, be open, enlarge your, your hearts. Do you know that uh, the Bible says God put into the heart of Titus an earnest care for the Corinthians? Do you know God can sovereignly put stuff in your hearts? Yeah? Uh, repeat this after me. God put earnest care into the heart of Titus for you Corinthians. So yes, Paul, a father of the Corinthians, and yes, Titus, his son. Watch. Paul is saying, I love my Corinthians, my saints, my sons in the Lord. Here's my other son, Titus. It says, God sovereignly opened the heart of Titus. Everyone do this. He sovereignly opened the heart of Titus, and he put earnest care into the heart of Titus. And Paul says in the, 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 the verses following, this if you're taking notice in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. Paul then says to him, uh, to the Corinthians, and he says, not only did he agree then to come to you, not because of my commandment, but because of his own desire, he was coming. Right? 
You see, when God sovereignly puts things in your heart, you will not need external commandments. You will function uh, reflexively based upon conviction of principle that God has sovereignly downloaded in your heart. No one never ever needs to encourage me to tithe again. It's a principle I've installed. Come hell or high water, I will, the, the message on obedience unto death that we preach on Esther, I will obey unto my death. If I die in the process of obeying God, then I must die. What have I done? God sovereignly put that. Acts 14 or Acts 16 verse 4, I think it says, Lydia heard the things that Apostle Paul was preaching. And what did God do? It says, God opened the heart of Lydia to receive the things that the Apostle Paul was saying. Let me just say this categorically. If God doesn't open your heart, it will never open. The initiative is not with you. The initiative is with God. You must just respond to that initiative of God. What, what I want to beckon the church, I could go on, but I'm just afraid we'll, we'll cut into other things we need to do this morning. And time, I know it's Mother's Day. Guys want to spend time with their mothers and honor them. That's all good. But listen carefully. Never before, I want to speak to you seriously, church. Never before have I now appreciated the principle of the longing in the heart. Everyone say the longing in the heart. I'm going to pray a prayer of impartation that this becomes your portion. You see, if you develop this, like I said, just respond to what God desires to do in your heart. Just, 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 just accede to it. Just come into it. God's sovereign in initiative, but your, your cooperation with Him. Just come into it. You'll be amazed at the grace flow. I think the biggest hindrance to grace reception is a closed heart. You know what, what, what makes your heart closed? Offense. You're offended because of this or because of that. Especially in reference to your leaders. And your heart becomes closed. And no matter how much pregnant the grace environment that you are in is, no grace comes to you because of the detachment and the cutting off in the, in the heart. Uh, the mutuality of longing between a father's heart and a son's heart must be present. Do you love us? Now listen carefully. I'm being deliberate and I'm being open because we are going somewhere. We're going somewhere. The love, there must be deep, sincere love in the heart. I would state categorically that we too will love you. I have no problems giving my life for you. No problems. I have no problems laying down my reputation for you. I wouldn't blink at that. I would do it in a week. I'm being sincere before the Lord. I will do it in a week. Stand behind you. You'll will through your darkest hour. Paul says, we have not just imparted, the, I'll talk more later, maybe next week, we have not just imparted the gospel only, but we've imparted our very lives. It's not just the message. We give our lives. Right? We give our very lives for the gospel's sake. Now, given that, listen carefully, in that economy, do you know what's going to enrich the house? There will be tons of grace. Tons and tons and flows of anointings. And grace for what the Lord has in store for us. Do you know the Lord spoke to me this week from Psalm 133? Just put it up quickly. Do you remember how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in? Is one or in unity? It is like what? It is like verse 2. The precious oil. Everyone say precious oil. Do you know precious oil is oil that's anointed, was poured on Aaron. Who's Aaron? The high priest. He's got a function in Israel, watch, with the names of the 12 tribes all on his heart. He's got a function in Israel to redeem the nation, to represent God to the nation. And guess what? He needs an anointing for that. He needs oil. Oil is the anointing of the Spirit. He needs an anointing to fulfill his function. But watch, what is the anointing oil that, that empowers functionality of a high priestly company that can affect whole nations Whole jurisdictions. For listen carefully by the Spirit as I speak. The representative or the representational capacity of this congregation now elevates. When I stand before God, God sees all of you. But when we stand as a company like this, tight, cohesive, five chasing, a hundred, a hundred chasing, ten thousand. When we stand as one, God reckons that like unto an anointing. Everyone says an anointing. 
Say it's precious oil. You see, Aaron cannot function without the anointing. He can have all the garb, but without the Holy Ghost empowerment, he cannot function. The Lord said this to me very, clear, very clearly. Randolph, God, the oneness. The oneness is going to be the precious oil. Is going to be the empowerment. And then it says it, he went on his beard, coming down to the edge of his of his robes, right? The edge of his robes. Do you know when Jesus, in the gospel, I think in Matthew 8, there was a woman with an issue of blood. She, how long was a bleeding problem for? Come on, you know the story. Twelve years, right? Did she go and seek help from every known physician? Yes? Yeah? But she heard that Jesus was coming by, and she broke all protocol. In Dr. Segi's estimate, she could not have been able to walk. I mean, to lose blood. You get weak, not so? How long is this girl losing blood for? Twelve years. She's probably on her all. Like I'll dramatize of you, right? She's probably like this. Uh, weak. Um, unable to. This is not someone I'm pushing to Jesus. She's using the last bit of strength. You know? She's like really pushing. She is unclean, not so? By Levitical law, she's unclean. A person with a constant flow of an issue of blood by Levitical standards is unclean. And do you know, she was not permitted outside and neither was she permitted by Levitical law to touch anybody. So she's breaking all protocol. She pushes through to Jesus. And let me ask you, which part of Jesus' clothing does she touch? Does she touch the top, the sleeve? Well, okay, she couldn't get that high in any case, right? She's on all. She touches the edge. Watch. Get that scripture up again. Psalm 133. Where the anointing oil concentrated in Aaron's head found its way to Aaron's, the edge of his robe. So it was a concentrated uh, anointing. In other words, what was on the head was in the hem. And every time the oil flowed, although it's concentrated at the hem, doesn't diminish what the head got. But the intent of the anointing is to grow and exponentially increase. So when the woman touched Jesus' hem, the hem, the edge of his garment, symbolically it was like a concentrated level of anointing she was experiencing. Jesus said that's why they were all touching, but very few were touching the hedge. Peter said, what's the problem, Lord? Everybody's touching you. How can you say, who touched me? But someone touched the hem. Someone touched. And Oh, by the way, this is powerful. What did Jesus have on? What garment? Seamless. Read John chapter 19. Remember when he died, the Roman soldiers took his garment and they tried to, to tear it and divide it. But they could not. Because it was not made up of two or three parts like we make garments today where you attach the sleeve or you attach this. The entire garment of Jesus was seamless. It was a woven, they call it in Hebrew, a woven whole garment. So what does the garment speak of? Oneness. What does the garment speak of? Oneness, covenant. And wherever you are dressed with the garment of oneness, you have concentrated levels of anointing. You have concentrated levels of anointing. Come on, say with me, concentrated levels of anointing. Great power, Acts 4, 32 and 33. Great power was upon the early church. Why? They were of one heart and one soul. And with great power, the apostles gave witness of the resurrection. Wherever you have one heart, one soul, you always have great power. Great power. Great power. God said this to me prophetically. Your congregation is going to heal the bleeding church. The woman is representative of a church. There are churches whose life is ebbing away. But they're going to come and we're going to be arbitrators, mediators, and reconciliators. God's going to position us for a life flow to touch. And we mustn't be, God said to me, do not be afraid. Are being touched by the unclean. Do not be afraid of your reputation. Do not be afraid of your image. Jesus said, someone 
dead touched me, and life, life flowed. Where was Jesus on the way to, by the way? Where was he going? Where was he off, off to? He was off to heal Jairus' daughter. How old was she? Twelve years old, and she died, was on the verge of death. Yeah? And he goes and he raises her from the dead. Daughter, Talitha Kum, he said, rise up. So both ladies were an old lady of 12 years and a young girl of 12. It means when this woman's bleeding problem started, that girl was born. There's two churches. There's a church whose life is ebbing away, and there's an emerging apostolic church that the Lord is on his way to the leader of the house of the synagogue to, to raise it from the, from the dead. I want to encourage us, church, in our bid, in our journey as we walk, to raise things apostolic and to forge and build the apostolic, which we are doing. We must learn to stop in our journey and to minister to a bleeding person. Right? Don't be so focused and focused on destiny. You don't have the heart to minister to those that are in need of a bleeding and dying, um, in, in need of salvation. Yeah? Amen? Come on, are you understanding this? Yeah? I know this is a lot of prophetic stuff happening here today, but I really want to encourage you um, to maintain oneness because this we have a seamless garment. Uh, when I look at you, although we have different faces, different places, different contexts, different experiences, but I in the Spirit see a seamless garment in the Spirit here. And uh, I want to encourage you, don't tear what we've got. I declare by the Spirit even now, no attempt to tear this garment will succeed. Because it's of the Lord. Amen? It's of the Lord. And great power is going to attend us for the work whereunto the Lord has, has called us. We'll be raising and blessing apostolic churches, but also we'll be healing, bleeding, and dying churches. And people. Okay? All from the position of, of oneness. Say we are one. One last scripture. John 17, 20, quickly. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who will believe in me through their word. Next verse. That they might all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they might also be one in us. Why? Why? Why oneness? Ask your neighbor, why oneness? So you, Father, they must be one as you and I are one, that they might be one in us. Even as you, Father, are in me, I in you, they may be one in us with this objective, so that the world might believe that you, look at verse 23, I think, that the world might believe that you sent me, I in them, you in me, that they might be perfected in unity or oneness, so that the world will know that you sent me and love them even as you have loved me. Now, I really want to, please, if you don't have a vision of what this can accomplish, you will never appreciate the process. If you don't have a, a, a perception or revelation of what a state can accomplish, you will not pursue the state because you have no idea of the possibilities. I'm presenting to you the possibilities. I am saying, everyone say anointing. There's going to be a precious oil. That's a very unique kind of anointing oil. Everyone say precious oil. There's going to be precious oil poured on this company because we have high priestly function to do in the nations of the earth, including this nation. We're going to confer redemption and reconciliation of whole people groups back to the Father. But I'm saying this very, very uh, consciously. The anointing for that now, today, increases. God finds us one enough to confer upon us a greater level of anointing for functionality. For functionality, right? Our personal endeavors in whatever sphere you are will dramatically enhance. Because five chases a hundred, but a hundred chase ten thousand. So I confer upon you as I speak an enhanced capacity, privately and personally, in whatever you do, simply because you are functioning from a corporate context that is full of oneness and, and community. Remember what the Bible says in Acts, and Peter standing up with the eleven. said, we are not drunk as you suppose. One man speaks, but he speaks with the voice of twelve. Governmental authority. Right? And now, here, here is where I really love. Listen carefully. 
Is oneness possible outside a father-son economy? No, biblically not. Do you think, watch, I think, God is emphasizing the father-son wineskin because he wants the church one. Outside of fatherly grace, oneness is virtually impossible. I won't have time to, to demonstrate from the scriptures. Watch carefully. What is the standard for, one, for, for, for oneness? It says, make, make us one, verse 21 or 22 says, make us one, make them one, how? Come on, think with me. Make us one, how? As you and I. Who's you and I? It's father and son. Oneness is always referenced within a father-son wineskin. It's only possible for father and son to be one. But watch, when father and son are one, no son can be truly one with his father unless he brings the father's view to his being in reference to all his other brothers. Yeah? To all his other brothers. So, what does it say about Christ? It behoved Christ to bring many sons unto, unto glory. Christ's specific objective, his clear intent, is to bring every son into the same relationship that he enjoyed with his father. Okay? He loved his own and he loved them even unto the end, the Bible says. Okay? So, listen carefully. I want to say it again. Oneness is only possible within a father-son economy. Because Jesus said, make them one as we are one. And every family, both in heaven and earth, is modeled after the principle of father and son. Where you have institutional church membership, you will always have strife, always have division. I mean, many of us have come from institutions, not so? Think of the backbiting, the, 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 just the, 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 the tense relationship issues we had to deal with. But in this economy... Let me just say this. Jesus said, no one can claim to have loved the father, but do not love their brother that they see. So any connection to a father is tested by how you're connected to your brother. Now, you've just witnessed a moment ago, and you said this to me, that you love Renéna. Now, I will say to you what Jesus said to his disciples in reference to his father. How can you say you love God that you haven't seen, but you don't love your brother whom you've seen? Your love for the father is tested by how you love the, the brother. Similarly, uh, if your heart longs for me as my heart longs for you, then the litmus test is, that is te the acid test is tested by your, your mindset in reference to your, to your brother. Then we will have a house that is one. And in a house of one, you'll find a flow of anointing oil in a seamless garment that accentuates high priestly function for nations. And John 17 says, then the world will know. Repeat this after me. The world will know. The world will know. There's going to be a great evangelistic thrust in this congregation to the unsaved. Because now I think and I believe by faith the context is ready. You see, before we were reluctant, I don't know if you've ever been here. There was one stage in my life I would even be afraid to invite someone to church. But now my heart is free. Come to a family. Everyone say evangelism. You're going to see a wave of, then they will know. The authenticity and the integrity of the gospel message is now going to be sounded forth. And the Bible says, one heart, one soul, and with great power the apostles gave witness. There's going to be power attendant with witness, because people are going to come into a state of oneness. Yeah? It's going to be powerful. Tell them it's going to be powerful. It's going to be powerful. It's going to be awesome. Amen. Come on, lift your hands. Stay seated, but lift your hands. The longing in the heart for spiritual fathering and the longing in the heart for brother to brother Anointing oil is going to increase. We're going to be one as the standard of oneness exists in the Godhead. Father is one with the Son. Son is one with the Father. That standard economy of oneness in Father and Son dynamics is going to be true of everybody here. Thank you, Father. As you lift your hands, I want to encourage you, open your heart. Open your heart. The Lord opened the heart of Lydia. So just, just build some faith. Work with me here. Have faith in your heart. Say, God, there are certain things you can sovereignly do that man cannot do. 
And I'm going to pray. Father, I ask you that you would touch everyone in the heart. Touch us all. Move us internally in the depths of our hearts. Pour on us precious oil. Pour on us an anointing, even now. One that will go from the head to the hem. In this seamless, connected garment. Church of the living God. Thank you for the state of oneness in this house. I form a peg and a hedge about it now. In Jesus' name, I decree it will not be contaminated. In Jesus' name. Your word says we must endeavor to keep the, the oneness in the spirit. And later on, the oneness in the faith. We endeavor. We love this environment of oneness amongst brothers and with fathers. Father, I pray great grace even now would flow to every person's life. Enhance the individual capacity of every person in their respective spheres. I pray great grace and peace be on us all. Father, our greatest desire is that the world will know that you, Father, sent the Son. And the Son was sent to die for them and to reintegrate them back into the family of God. I ask for that message, that anointing, will grow significantly in the weeks and months ahead. That the world will know. Repeat that after me. That the world might know. Father, we, we don't seek oneness for our own sake. We're seeking the state to prepare context that will facilitate your purposes far and wide. That the world will know. And I pray great power be attendant upon us all. Great power be attendant upon us all to be witnesses of the resurrection like the early apostles did of the resurrection of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Your word says, there the Lord has commanded a blessing, even life forevermore. There the Lord commands a blessing. Come on, church, lift your hands. I pray God um, commanded blessing upon us all. In Jesus' name, I pray blessing upon every brother, blessing upon every sister, life forevermore. I pray the dead inactive aspects of our destiny suddenly come to life now life to you life to you my brother life to you my sister peace grace anointing the blessing of the lord that makes rich and brings no sorrow with it be your portion the lord extend your heart now the lord enlarge your heart the lord give you a new love for fathering a new love for your other brothers in the house of god the lord baptize you with his with his love and His grace. Great grace and peace to you all. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen.